This is not an episode on the Boondock Saints. In fact, to be quite honest, this is a preview, if not a prologue, to the story of the Boondock Saints. While technically this is part one of the two-part special on the Boondock Saints, we're not really going to be talking about the Boondock Saints in this episode. Well, we are, but for the most part, we're going to be talking about the creator of the Boondock Saints, an angry South Boston man by the name of Troy Duffy. The Boondock Saints was Troy Duffy's pet project, or passion project, or love child, or whatever you would call Frankenstein's monster to Troy Duffy's Frankenstein. See, I'm going to be honest and transparent here. Normally, I usually write out massive scripts about the pain and sorrow of the artist and how how treacherous and brutal the Hollywood industry is and how they suffered to get their art on the screen. I didn't do that for this. Because to be quite frank, Troy Duffy and the Boondock Saints doesn't warrant a happy intro. Troy Duffy doesn't warrant flowery prose or acclaimed statements of struggle and strife. This is the story of a man self-destructing, a man who got the contract of a lifetime, who blew it all up because, if I could be quite frank, he's a fucking cunt. On this prologue to the Boondock Saints, a part one of sorts, we discuss the story of Troy Duffy. A South Boston bar owner turned screenwriter overnight, turned self-destructive prodigy that single-handedly destroyed what could be considered the new age of 90s indie cinema. A man who burned every bridge and pissed everyone off on his way to create one of the most infamous and controversial cult classics of all time. This is the story of Troy Duffy. Here on Bombed. This is not going to be an episode on the Boondock Saints. This is not going to be an episode about all the stupid detail about the Boondock Saints. Because when I was doing research, the amount of useless information that was on IMDb for researching this was astounding. The amount of stuff that's like, did you know that the the tattoo on oh Sean God. Patrick Flanagy's hand stands for truth and Norman Reedus's tattoo stands for justice? Oh, my God. At the end of my notes, I wrote down those fucking hand tattoos. They are... Which I, I will bring up later, too, because I have a whole story about that. The amount of, like, the IMDB post is just like, oh, this Irish translation. It was it was so useless. <laughs> it was so dumb. I want to go on record and say that this episode is going to be dedicated to my ever-longing hatred for a man by the name of Troy Duffy. I despise this man with uh, intense passion. I hate everything he represents. 
<laughs> he single-handedly ruined the movie industry until like 2015. His uh, his success brings us pain, and his failure brings us joy. His failure has given me plenty of joy, but that joy is limited by the amount of destruction this man single-handedly done. And I, I think I should just start at the top saying, too, I brought this up as a topic for us to do an episode on before they announced the third film. Son of a bitch! Did you forget about that? Because I think that when when the when I sent you the like a text about that like when I was like oh they're making a third film we got to get the ball rolling on that episode I completely forgot yeah. about that and it's perfect timing because God knows I'm not going to cover that or the goddamn sequel to this. Piece how do they of get a shit. How do they get a, a trequel when the second movie lost money too? Well, the first uh, we're going to get into the whole first movie. There's a whole there's a whole thing. He won a lawsuit, but we'll get to that. <laughs> Double Jeopardy. Um, when you win the lawsuit, you get an extra movie at the end of it. So I want to make it clear because there might be some people that are too young to remember. But like way b- before you had your A24 movies, way before you had like Pig and John Wick <laughs> and like movies that people are like, these are cult classic films, cult classics for cult classic film bros. The Boondock Saints was always on everybody's top 10 cult movies you need to watch before you die lists. And I'm going to be transparent here and say that The Boondock Saints is not only a reprehensible piece of dog shit, but I will say it shouldn't be called a cult classic. It has lost its status because 300 was invented. All the people who love this fucking movie now. I mean, Zack Snyder on, is a better version of what Troy Duffy wanted to be. Yeah, like and look at, at all least, the success it brought him. At least Zack Snyder is a nice guy. Like he may suck as a director. Oh, yeah. Everyone he that may, works with him loves him. He may have like dog shit political opinions. He may be one of the worst human beings to ever touch a camera. But he's genuinely a nice guy who loves films. And I will say, I was one of the few people that actually got HBO Max to watch his shitty, like, five-and-a-half-hour version of Justice League. I despise this film with a burning passion. I remember watching The Boondock Saints in high school when somebody recommended it to me in my social studies class senior (laughs) year and said, you know what movie you'll really love? The Boondock Saints. You should watch The Boondock Saints. So this guy Saints. had great film taste, right? Well, so my friend, uh, Tyler, I, I'm going to shout him out here, he apparently owned a copy. And so we're like, yeah, let's watch it. Why not? It's going to be cool. So we turn on The Boondock Saints. And at the time, I was more pissed off at the amount of amateur mistakes in this film than I was about the content of this movie. <laughs> Young cinema fan Liam. I, I, I didn't care about how many times this guy threw out the F slur, and I'm not talking about fuck. Oh, I, I wrote down a whole bunch about that. And the, all that weird, like, homophobia stuff, too, with, like, so, gay Willem Dafoe, like, hating on gay people. I said, the like, self-hating gay trope. I wrote that down, yeah. yeah. It's fucking infuriating. For a man that that is the most homophobic person ever, he <laughs> sure knows how to shoot homoerotic scenes very well. I ignored all, like, the racist shit that's in this movie. I ignored all, like, oh the God. immature that, humor. That joke that, that they we'll I wrote it down, to too. The joke. The three. We'll get to the joke. Like, okay, I will say this. this. Yeah. Uh, just, I'm just going to hop right over no, here just because I wrote this no, down. I said this is a movie by a 14-year-old for 14-year-olds. That's how I wrote out, down the exact description. Matt, I love you. That is an insult to 14-year-olds. <laughs> this is a movie 
for the guys that unironically get Punisher tattoos on their chest, thinking that they're hardcore while backing police. These are idiots. This is a movie for the type of idiot that thinks that sharing like Steven Crowder videos on Facebook means that they're a true fucking rebel, a true hardcore genius. How edgy am I? I don't think we've even brought up that this movie is such a weird like endorsement of like visual anti-justice. That, like, essentially is, like, you know, the cops and, like, the justice system is pointless. Like, just go out and kill the bad guys in the world. Oh, we'll get to all of that. I have a quote right here. (laughs) I have so many quotes. I have so many quotes from the dumb fuck Troy Duffy because this man does not know how to shut up like myself. But, Matt... Why did you recommend the Boondock Saints? Well, it started with me just flipping through a bin of movies at, like, a thrift store. And I ran into it and I said, hey... I haven't seen this movie in 10 years. Let's do that. It's fun. I remember it being a fun movie when I was 14. It was not fun. And I watched it last night. I watched the documentary last night, and I was not entertained at all. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah, if you want if you want a genuine experience with this movie, watch Overnight, which is a 2003 documentary about the making of this movie. If you if you don't want to sit through this terrible podcast we're about to do for probably I don't know two hours. I mean, overnight's like almost an hour and a half, so it's probably about the same. They could probably just split the. You know, it's the almost the there. same length as the movie. It'll be like, I, yeah, yeah, pretty much. When I saw it, when I saw it initially in high school, I swear to God, it felt like three hours. Boondock Saints? Or yeah. The, okay. It felt like three hours. And I, I will <laughs> say, last night I kept pausing it to see how fucking far I was in the movie. And, like, every time I'm like, okay, can I wrap this up already? It's been, like, 45 minutes. It's like, oh, I have another 45 minutes. What's it, an hour and a half? Well, I was I was so desperate to get this episode done that I woke up at 2 in the morning to watch this movie. And while I was taking notes, I was pausing, being like, oh, God, how long am I? Oh, I'm 20 minutes in. Oh, this is fast. <laughs> yeah, like that it- opening. But then when it gets towards the end where it's like all this stuff's happening, I'm like, okay, wrap it up. Is this the end? No, wrap it up. Okay, they've killed these mobsters. Is it almost over? Oh, no, they have to kill some more mobsters. And they have oh, to Oh, what are they going to do? They're their- going to kill more mobsters? Oh, okay. <laughs> and I just have to say, too, the entire plot I wrote down, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? They just happen to like get into a brawl with these people and they just, they're like, you know what, let's just go around killing people. It just makes sense. It eventually makes sense. How is this a fucking golden script that like people are fighting over in Hollywood? <laughs> like we're gonna have to get into that too. I'm, you have that in down. Is this just how like bankrupt of ideas Hollywood is that even in the, the late nineties that they saw this script and they were like the next big thing. I think in their mind, they thought that the person writing it was genuinely like a Tarantino Rodriguez kind I think of person. You're, you're probably right. And there, then like. when they found out, oh no, he's a moron. They <laughs> just ditched. Like on the scale from like Tarantino to Kevin Smith, he like slides off that. And then Troy Duffy is the end of the, the scale. I have a quote from Kevin Smith and it sort of sums up the reason why I despise Troy Duffy. The, the quote from Kevin Smith is, You will never see in this industry, you will never see someone like myself ever get a chance to make a movie ever again. There's a lot of excess other reasons because of that. There's the nepotism problem in Hollywood. There's a lot of things where they want yes men to take care of studio projects and they won't give it to people with creative minds and creative visions. So, hey, all you guys that are in film school that are spending (laughs) $50,000, just quit. Um, Or just accept your role as a video editor or cinematographer because you're never going to get a hot seat chance unless you fund yourself. That is because of guys like Troy Duffy. He ruined it for everybody. Troy Duffy 
cut that fucking line whole. Because you follow the story of Troy Duffy. Troy Duffy did every single thing possibly wrong, stumbled into success. And On multiple then, fields, too. It, apparently. Multiple occasions. Music and fucking movies. Occasions. And then he really got like the golden egg like in his lap. He had he touched the holy grail and then drank from the cup and then and realized he wasn't worthy. <laughs> I don't think he realized. I think everyone around him realized that after he took the sip. <laughs> yeah. They went, "What did we do getting in bed with this guy?" And he not only took the industry down, but he took the industry down and sealed the gate off for anyone who wanted a possibility. So unless you already were an indie name that was making waves, like Christopher Nolan was still making indie movies. He was slowly crawling up the scale. And then around the time of this, he was still making Memento. I think Memento was a few years out. No, no. Well, this this was 99. He did uh, his, I'm going to just say his first film was following that black and white movie. Yeah. But, um, around this time, it may have been. Um, I almost said nostalgia. I was thinking of. Uh, what is that? Right before Memento, it was. Uh, oh, Insomnia, right? The Insomnia. remake of the. Was it like a Danish movie or something? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. With Robin Williams and yeah. Al Pacino. Yeah. You. You don't. You're. Ne- he's never gonna get a chance with this ever. But like, they're never gonna be like another Clerks, like just like an independent film just shot locally. And- you're never gonna get a Linklater. You're never going to get an Edgar Wright. You're never going to get any of these other people that are just like you're never gonna get like the only one that I would think is close is Nicholas Winding Refn, and that's because he started in Europe. If you start in Hollywood, you're not getting anywhere. It's definitely different with like European cinema there. Oh, but yeah. as an American, like, indie darling, yeah, like, that's not going to happen. It's never going to happen. And it's because of this this stupid South Boston motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate this guy so much. When I read this out, because I have his bio here. When I read this stuff out, you will start to realize how much I dis- like. I hate this guy. I hate him. I hate him. <laughs> The story of the Boondock Saints starts with Troy Duffy moving to L.A. to follow a music career with his band, The Brood. The Brood. That's what, that was their name before it was the Boondock Saints, that right? That was their name before the Boondock okay. Saints. Because I was driving here, and I was like, what the fuck was their name again? Because all I remember is they put out the album, and I think it was under the Boondock Saints. First and foremost, how dare you call yourself The Brood after the greatest tag team trio in WWE history. Give Gangrel, Edge, and Kristen some respect. There's, that's only a joke for myself. Anyway, I thought you were going to make a Cronenberg <laughs> reference there. I was like, number two, how dare you name your fucking band after a Cronenberg movie? Number three, how dare you make goddamn shitty grunge music in 1999? Was it? I didn't even know what fucking genre it was. It was like it was it was like helmet type alternative. Is the best way to put it. It was all very I know is, light. yeah, them wanting to go to LA to like make it. They wanted to be in the next like uh, Slash and the Snake Pit or whatever kind of thing. Yeah. Because they, they can never be Guns N' Roses. They're never, never in their wildest imagination. Just absolute dog shit. But he was working there. He was working as a, at the bar as a bartender and a bouncer at this bar. I think it was like S. Loy's. Is that the bar or, that or was L. almost Sloan's. bought? Or L. Sloan's. Yeah, L. Sloan's. He was working at a bar, and in between his shifts, he was writing the Boondock Saints. Now, I have a quote <laughs> because <laughs> we got a lot of quotes this episode. Do you know about the inspiration for the Boondock Saints? It was someone passed out in the hallway, right? Like there was something like he saw like a junkie or something like that. He saw a dead heroin addict getting wheeled out of the apartment across the hall from him. <sighs> 
he saw that, and this is what he thought. I have a quote. (laughs) This is the almighty words of Troy Duffy. I decided right there that out of sheer frustration and not being able to afford a psychologist. (laughs) So this was his therapy. This was his therapy. He unloaded on us. We had to sit through it. I was going to write this. Think about it. People watching the news sometimes get get so disgusted by what they see. Susan Smith drowned her kids. Guys going into McDonald's lighting up the whole place. You hear things that disgust you so much that even if you're Mother Teresa, there comes a breaking point. One day you're going to watch the news and you're going to say, whoever did that despicable thing should pay with their life. You will, for maybe just a minute, have whoever did that should die who without any fucking jury. I was going to give everybody that sick fantasy and tell it as truth fully as I could. So he could have just went out and like shot up like some like drug dealers, but instead like he decided to like make us all experience his like violent fantasies to like get retribution on these people. I wish I could say this is like if Frank Castle was really big into Francis Ford Coppola. (laughs) In reality, this was like if, like Michael Douglas's character from Falling Down <laughs> just really loved pulp fiction. God. This is He also just sounds like Travis Bickle. Like he really just wants to cleanse the streets he's, of like these people. Exactly. Exactly. God. This like just want to go on a mini rant here. I'm sorry. The type of people that Troy Duffy are are the kinds of people that watch Taxi Driver and then take away the wrong message. Oh, yeah. He's like, we should go around and cleanse the streets. We should go around and kill people. And they're like, maybe he should have shot Palantine. And then they get a Blue Lives Matter tattoo on their oh, wrist. God. I despise this man. It goes on. <laughs> God. I wrote Boondocks in three sections. I wrote the very beginning... And and then I started thinking of cool shit in the middle. Throw some cool shit in there. Then somehow between the beginning and middle, the ending dictated itself. This motherfucking moron. Well, that explains a lot. Like, just God, that ending. The I, I fucking hate that ending too. I wrote it. I wrote they. You know, they they kill the bad guy. They ride off in the sunset. They recite a little poem together. Yeah, in the most like homicidal, like, school shooter They make you be like, wow, that's so cool. We're going to get to that. This this man should have been locked up. So Troy Duffy writes the script. In 1996, he finishes it and hands it over to a production assistant at New Line Cinema to hand it over to senior executives. Then, somehow, it ends up circulating the rounds. What does that say, though? That like this was passing around, people are like just blown away by it. Well, as were I they s- reading the dialogue? As I said before, like you got to also remember too. Like we, I know a lot of people glorify the '90s, where like the film bro got to get a camera, and this is where the Tarantinos and Rodriguez, and yeah, like Kevin that generation Smith. of like young, like just people inspired by film that can make it. Yeah, and no one seems to remember even Paul Thomas Anderson, like. Didn't have film school. He just watched movies and he made movies. And he just made movies. But no one seems to remember the fact that, like, out of, like, all of... They were giving everyone a goddamn blank check. That's true. We named, like, four people, and those four people made some masterpieces. But then there's probably, like, 40 people that made straight trash off of that as well. There are are people that have made movies that were like, oh, these guys are going to be big. These are going to be the next big hotshot directors. And the only person that got out of there alive would be, like, I don't know, Richard Stanley, (laughs) who ended up making 
like Hardwire, and then one other movie, and then The Island of Dr. Moreau. Like movies hey, that he no made one a movie saw. like a year ago. He did the yeah. The, he did the color the the color, color out of space, space. Yeah. and that was a beautiful looking movie. Like it was a good time. It was a beautiful looking movie. The, let's stop it right there. <laughs> I look. I love Richard Stanley. He's a weird guy. I do need to do an Island of Doctor Moreau episode. That will be insane. Anyway, so he hands out this stuff, and I'm pretty positive these people read the script and are like, "Oh my god, I want to know who's the genius behind this." Who is the mastermind? Because they think that they got the next Tarantino, they got the next Kevin Smith, and then when they show up and they see this obnoxious Southie Boston dipshit. Yeah, this bartender in overalls, wearing a ball cap. Who, unlike myself, can't stop saying fuck every other word. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine enough. There's nothing wrong with that when you know how to point and direct a camera. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When you know how to, like... If you have the skill to back it up, you can say whatever you want. a shot... You know, when you know just the basics. <laughs> he was getting deals left and right. Paramount offered him $500,000 for the movie, for the script, and with the possibility to direct. Wow. Mirror Max cut under, they won a bidding war, and offered Troy Duffy $450,000 for... For just the script or for the whole package? Oh. Troy Duffy was offered $450,000 to write and direct the film, for his band to do the soundtrack, and for Weinstein to purchase his own bar for them to co-own. That would be Jay Sloan's. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the famous story, though, that like Weinstein bought him the bar. But then that fell apart later. That anyway. fell apart, too, because why would Weinstein <laughs> want the bar? <laughs> Which also should be red flag number one. Why? Just this story getting into the the idea that Weinstein and McDuffie, I almost said McDuffie, <laughs> fucking McDuffie. McDuffie. Imagine just fusing McG and Troy Duffy oh together <laughs> as one obnoxious human being. These two fucking men uh, probably have the biggest egos in the fucking entire film industry in a room arguing. Just the worst people. The budget was supposed to be $15 million. Now... I can go on and on and on about casting choices. There's a lot of casting choices. Originally, Duffy wanted Stephen Dourif and Mark Wahlberg to be in the film. Mark Wahlberg thankfully declined and ended up in one of my favorite movies of all time, Boogie Nights. Really? He chose yeah. Boogie Nights over this? Thank fucking God. He I mean, chose Boogie Nights over this. I just feel like this is the kind of movie he likes, though, you know? I, he I seems guess. like the kind of guy who's a fan of vigilante justice since he loves to beat up Asian men. I think this might have been the... Mm, yeah. I think I brought yeah. it up on a previous podcast episode, too. This might have this might have been a perfect script for Marky Mark. I think... I think yeah, I'm like... He, I mean, I'm sure it just was that Boogie Nights was too good to pass up, but like he must have got his like rocks off on this script. Oh, yeah, of course. But Mark Wahlberg declined. The only original person to sign on that stayed on was Billy Connolly. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. You got one good person out of this. The following people he did not get. For the brothers, he offered Brendan Fraser, Nikki Katz, and Ewan McGregor. We'll put an asterisk next to Ewan McGregor. I was about to say. That, that's a whole story itself right That's there. a whole story. Asterisk on Ewan McGregor. He initially also wanted Patrick Swayze for Schmecker, the character that Willem Dafoe plays in this huh. movie. Dafoe was, like, the best part about the film. So, I mean, I, that somehow worked out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, for whatever reason. Like, yes. His overacting and the way he just went about that. That's a we- I just also want to say Willem Dafoe and drag. Is that, like, the, the smash or pass? Like, smash? 
smash? You, you we'll, we'll get to okay. it. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about it. that later. We'll but talk I was, about it. It's one thing we'll I took to away it. last night. We I was got, like, we got a lot. We got a lot more to cover. We got a little bit more to cover. Then we get to <laughs> then we get to my movie notes. I know. Then we get to my. I'm just trying to talk about whether or not you thought he was hot and drag as well. Yeah, he's a little bit cute. Okay, there we go. That's all I wanted. No, he wanted Patrick Swayze, but Miramax had a deal with Sly Stallone and had a bigger connection, so they wanted Sly Stallone or Bill Murray or Mike Myers. <laughs> Any of those people in this movie, I could not fucking picture. <laughs> I could not, I could picture Sly Stallone. I could see them like that. As that a detective? Would, yeah, as the detective, but it would be a little bit more straight-laced. It would be more neutral. Also, it would make more sense if you know that like he also offered the role to Kevin Spacey. Oh, wow. Which would be, like, almost perfect. God, this movie's hitting, like, fucking pervert alarms all over. I know, right? right? So many names in the hat. Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Sly Stallone. So many perverts. Yeah. <laughs> all the perverts. Sooner or later, Troy Duffy, all the perverts. Oh, just, oh, just oh, put an asterisk there. You know, oh, and speculation. Ron Jeremy. I forgot oh, Ron Jeremy. I, I literally wrote down <laughs> rapist Ron Jeremy next to my note. <laughs> forgot about that. So many perverts in this movie. So... He was offered all of these actors, and sure enough, because Troy Duffy is Troy Duffy, he somehow blew every possible chance. I've got a list. So Troy Duffy, unfortunately, Weinstein learned sooner or later that Troy Duffy was too much of an egotistical prima donna dickass to work with. Because, you know... Well, when some... one knows one, they can see that coming, I oh, guess. Oh, of course. And I, I can kind of see... What's up with Weinstein? Because Weinstein, let me clarify, I'm not <laughs> defending Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein is the biggest piece of shit in the world. That he's also being, a director's worst fucking nightmare, too. Like, he's also a director's worst fucking nightmare. They all, Every person that worked for him hated working for him. Yeah. He doesn't know what to fucking cut. He cuts too much. Exactly. He fucks up everything. He's and he and he's a domineering. You know asshole. the story too about is it a Miyazaki sent him a fucking samurai sword and telling him that like if he tries to cut anything he'd get cut. I think that's the story. What? Yeah, because I think um, he had a hand in one of the fucking you know Miyazaki films and he was trying to like I guess edit it for American like when they they put him out in American release and he literally I guess knew the story about like Weinstein being like a notorious like editor butcher and sent him like a fucking samurai sword as a threat. <laughs> And this, like, sweet, simple man. Yeah, like, I love that. Yo, Miyazaki's a savage. But, yeah, so I can understand where where Weinstein's coming from because, like, you can look at his track record. He's a piece of shit, but you can look at his track record. He gave fucking Tarantino a shot, made Tarantino's career. He gave Kevin Smith a shot, made Kevin Smith's career. Uh, I'm not sure about Rodriguez. I think he might have had something to plan there. Oh, something I just found out about Pulp Fiction the other day, because I love, I'm the tidbit boy. Um, <laughs> but apparently the script was originally optioned and passed around Hollywood by um, Danny DeVito's film company. And that's actually what brought it to Miramax. Really? Yeah, because I was reading something and they were talking about how like no one talks about Danny DeVito's hand in that. And I was like, wow, that is man a, is a legend. That is what, th- shout out to, to the greatest person in Hollywood. Now back to the worst person in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> But he gave all these guys a shot. Piece of shit, awful human being. If you were, if you weren't a white dude in Hollywood, he was your worst enemy in the world. Piece of shit guy. But I could see that he wanted to give the same thing because he also gave. This was around the time of Goodwill Hunting too, and I think he also gave good. Um, yeah, that was what like ninety seven. Yeah, he he made uh, Ben Affleck. 
because he wrote that, right? Ben Affleck wrote. Uh, yeah, it's kind of it, it reminds me a lot of Rocky, where it's like he wrote it and then you know wanted to star in it. I mean, he didn't direct it, but like in the same way that like it kind of made Sylvester Stallone, you know? Yes, in the same way, in the same way, and so and also Gus Van Sant. He's made Gus Van Sant's career. Well, yeah, I mean, he'd been around for over a decade before that. He exactly. was like an indie champion, like yeah, my own private Idaho and stuff. But like he kind of did the thing that Fincher did, I think, where he got like caught up in like just making movies for money. I can't fault him for it. Exactly. Make your money. He didn't realize that Troy Duffy was a stupid Southie and not a smart Southie. And I, yes, I use that as a derogatory statement. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, so here's some of the infractions. So initially with the casting, I have a few quotes. So Duffy <laughs> refused to take any sort of reading from Be- uh, Brad Pitt. His his. <laughs> His view of actors is insane. Like time has proven that he knows nothing about. Like when, he, when he's talking about these actors being incompetent or talentless, it's like they're the best fucking actors around. Let me note: he didn't want to take Brad Pitt because Brad Pitt did The Devil's Own. Do you remember The Devil's Own? I don't actually. I don't think I ever saw it, but I remember reading about it. Apparently, he did an Irish accent in that movie, and oh, Troy did. Duffy said, oh, that's not convincing enough, so I don't want him in the movie. He's like, I'm from Boston, I know an Irish accent. Yeah, exactly, bro. Meanwhile, about a year later, Brad Pitt's in fucking Snatch, <laughs> where he plays a pikey Irish prick. <laughs> yeah. And does a really good pikey accent. <laughs> like, I know a lot face. of it is just... <laughs> but, like... Yeah, and you know what's better than the the way this dialogue? It's not snappy. It wouldn't have probably landed the same way anyway. Exactly, like snatch. Keanu Reeves was interested. Uh, Troy Duffy said Keanu Reeves was a fucking punk. I will say though, at that time, Reeves definitely didn't have the best. You know, he wasn't the best track record. He, I what Johnny Mnemonic speed. (laughs) Yeah, like his Renaissance is like definitely like now that's kind of proven that he can act. You know, I don't know. Like back in the day, people thought he was like you know a one note actor. They thought of him as whoa, whoa yeah, exactly. Whoa. Very like stilted in his like performance. And let me note though, uh, the Matrix was coming out at around the same time as this movie, so Shit. you know, <laughs> <laughs> Ethan Hawke, one of the best indie actors to date, he called a talentless tool. <laughs> that right there sent my blood pressure through the roof when I saw that fucking moment. I don't know. The first before movie came out. What was that like? Ninety seven, I think. Yeah, and like that right there, like he showed his fucking range like as a performer like uh, jesus christ he doesn't know talent this man does not know talent oh you want to oh you want to get even worse so initially he wanted kevin kenneth brana as schmecker and this is where we get into the fun stuff because because kenneth brana basically was ignoring him and not taking his calls he repeatedly mispronounced kenneth brana's name which proves that you know you're a stupid southie prick and not a true irishman the entire time here I keep saying, do they have a casting agent? Like, is there someone working with him? Is like, yes, are you a fucking agent? Do you know the casting agent? Who is the casting Troy agent? Troy Duffy. Oh, so- my. Okay, this is like one of those things. There was no one there, like a normal casting agent would be like, okay, shut the fuck up. Let's just do these reads. Let's get through everyone. No Brad Pitt. I don't like the Brad Pitt. No, no. Br- Brad Pitt's a fucking loser, bro. Yo, yo. What? Leonardo wants to be in this movie? Stupid fucking idiot. Why would I want to hire him? Oh Dumbass. God. I'm going to hire my friend, Dennis Rocco Donazzi, <laughs> and have him in there as Dennis Rocco Yeah, it's this major fucking part of the movie. The entire time, I'm like, man, this man, who could they put in this fucking role to actually make it work? Kenneth Branagh wasn't taking his calls, so repeatedly Troy Duffy called him a cunt. 
in public. He can build relationships. The number one rule in Hollywood is keeping and maintaining those relationships. He, calling people cunts. He openly insulted Jerry Brockheimer <laughs> in public in multiple statements. He threatened his agency, William Morris, with leaving and joining a rival agency because of how slow the, the casting process was going. Because, you know, he couldn't make up his fucking mind on who to cast every other second. He alienated uh. Weinstein and his own producing team because he was just an obnoxious asshole. And I guess at the same time, we could also note that he also was alienating his band, which, you know, I guess at the same exact time was going through their issues related to their contract. So he's kind of alienating people on every side of his life. He was burning bridges left and right. If you want the full details on a lot of this, I really suggest you watch Overnight. It's a documentary. You can watch it yeah. for free yeah, was on Yeah, Tubi, right? On Tubi. It's on Tubi. It's on, like, Tubi and, and TiVo and what other free streaming service you can find. I think I watched it on YouTube because I'm a cheap bastard. It is beautiful. If you hate this movie, you will love I, Overnight. I also just want to say Overnight, made by his friends. His friends made this documentary, and it just paints him in the worst fucking light. They said that I think there's only a few moments where they cut the cameras because, like, you know, you shouldn't really be doing that when you're making an honest documentary. But yeah. they said I think the parts they cut were when he, like, threatened them yes. in, like, serious ways. Yeah, telling them that he's going to kill them and all this yeah. nut job shit. But the only time that camera stopped. So it just captures him at his worst in every fucking aspect. Burned every bridge. He wasn't, uh, Weinstein wasn't taking his calls anymore. He was getting a lot of let's do lunch stuff. Yeah. And he, he penned, I don't know if you remember there was a part, he like penned like this really like dumb, sappy thing to Weinstein about how he was like a mentor and he like loves him and stuff like that. It just, I cringed. I remember like I was playing Elden Ring while I, I was watching that and I just stopped to cringe for a moment. This is the dumbest person on the face of the planet ever given a camera. I'm also Fire. glad that he's, like I said earlier, probably the one person who deserved to get canceled by Weinstein or like destroyed by Weinstein. <laughs> Weinstein got canceled. He, he destroyed people's lives, mostly women and some men. Let me note, when Weinstein's the good guy in your story, <laughs> you are a terrible human being. That is another reason why I hate Troy Duffy. It makes me like Harvey Weinstein. Just a little bit. I, I despise Harvey Weinstein, but in this moment, I say kudos. He did a little good for society in that moment. Every other aspect was horrible. So the final straw with Miramax was the infamous story with Ewan McGregor, where Troy Duffy flew out to New York to talk to Ewan McGregor about signing on to the, the movie. They decided to go get drinks. Never do that. <laughs> If you're trying to hire someone for your movie, never very try to get drinks. Yeah. Very professional. They decide to get drinks, and in this, they got into a heated discussion about the death penalty. Now, oh. I don't know what Ewan McGregor's side is, but based on the psychotic manifesto that Troy Duffy stated. <laughs> oh, he's all for this fucking death penalty. I'm pretty positive Ewan McGregor wasn't up for playing a homicidal maniac. He probably had some questions about the script and asking why they were so down to kill, I'm sure. Yeah, probably he had a little bit more, like, thought in his brain yeah. to be like, what... What are, so so uh uh Troy what are the um I'm just wondering out of curiosity why uh so why do the brothers want to kill people yeah fuck so these fucking guys you gotta understand these fucking idiots man they they they're slackers all their life just like me bro just like me <laughs> just, just me and like my friends. me bro we're just hanging out at the bar getting some shots you know how it is and then they just go, you know what? We gotta save the streets, man. We gotta save the fucking streets, For bro. women and children? For women and children everywhere, even though I've never talked to a woman in my <laughs> life. And I hate kids. But, bro, 
All right, uh, uh, Troy, I, I don't think that this film's for me. Why you gotta be such a fucking asshole? Why you gotta do that to me? I'm pretty sure that's the conversation they had. I will say, too, when you brought up Ewan McGregor, like, questioning the film, I did think that there was probably a nugget in here for, like, a good idea for a film, like, twisting a lot of these parts into, like, other directions. Like, the cop who questions whether or not, like, he's doing the right thing and how he kind of wants to support vigilante justice. Because, you know, the, the, the road of the police is, you know, kind of hits all these, like, red tape roadblocks. Yep. We should, uh, have a separate side podcast where we then just like try to re-save movies <laughs> take like I horrible would be, films i would be so down but if we did this episode it would just be very easy you <sighs> oh, you, you fucking change this you have like a whiteboard you just change this change that you, you know you know how you solve this you don't take the fucking concept at face value Exactly. You don't just go, oh, it's You question so- the characters fucking... Isn't it so badass that these guys have guns and they kill mobsters, bro? They're so cool. And I just want to say the inciting incident to them getting into killing still was just a run-in with those fucking mobsters. And they're like, why don't we just get into killing? Oh, like, and, and the homoerotic police station scene. You forgot uh, about that. We'll get to yeah. all of that. We're almost there. We're almost at the movie. We're almost there. <laughs> We're, almost We're almost into there. the actual movie. We're almost at the movie. So Miramax, hearing that Ewan McGregor basically said, fuck this. This guy said, okay, we literally cannot work with you. So they put the movie into turnaround, which means for those who aren't in the film lingo world, means that they basically put this as a tax write-off, saying that it was a loss, and then canceled the project and pushed it out and said, uh, do whatever you want with it. We want nothing to do with you. Yeah, at that point, he still retains the script then. he Yeah, he keeps the script. They pay, They still let him keep the 300000 for his writing contributions, but then they ask for $150 for the advance, plus the 700000 for the production of the movie. <laughs> they want that back. They certainly want that back. Uh, while all this house of cards is burning down, he also ends up getting a deal with Atlantic Records for The Brood. <sighs> I've been talking too much. Matt, do you want to talk about The Brood for a the second? The Brood, okay, so... <laughs> From the documentary, him and his friends finally get their dream. They get signed to Atlantic. It seems like it's all going well. I can't believe that one producer I I wrote down compared them to the Beatles and Alice in Chains. Which I still, I wrote that down because that stuck out in my head. I said, what the fuck is this guy smoking here? They're not even on Mud Honey level. I think you, you compared them to like a shitty helmet. and They're, they're shitty helmet. Oh my God. <laughs> and if they could have just stayed in that lane right there. But these poor band members, you know, they're they're struggling. I know one of them was talking about how like he didn't have a job and he was getting kicked out of his house. And like Troy, who's sitting here as the golden child, is just telling him to struggle a little bit longer and hold on because things are coming their way. And he's like, I'm about to be evicted. I have nothing. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have any money, Troy. Uh, could you just yeah. give me like a few bucks? He's like, you have $300,000 right now in your pocket. Bro, you got to listen to me. Man, I got I got my fucking project, man. That I'm making, dude. That I, and I'm just gonna be all the guns and stuff. We're gonna make it happen. Yeah, You're the, gonna live your dreams. So man. his band is sitting here going like, so are we the priority or is this movie the priority? What the fuck is going on here? Exactly. As like the movie's getting put in turnaround, as this contract with Atlantic starts falling apart because he just keeps running his fucking mouth and ruining everything. Uh, I believe he at one point he's he kind of like was yelling at the manager in the documentary saying that he knew more than him about like how to fucking like run a mu- the music business. Uh, it's just infuriating. I, I, I just getting like fed up already. Let me On see top of all that. I just want to say as much as you want to give these poor guys credit and say like, they're just simple victims. They also were all a bunch of alcoholics <laughs> that couldn't just not stop drinking for like a day. <laughs> 
and they they were doomed to fail. I mean, they were a fucking band that went to L.A. to make it. Like, how many bands actually make it? I'm just saying, like, there's like two. The rest of them become like male prostitutes. Like, they are the cliche. It, exactly. <laughs> like, they thought they were gonna be fucking slashes snake pit. Exactly. I'm gonna keep saying that. Exactly. They they wanted to be they wanted to be the band from Rockstar, which by the way is just Judas Priest with Rip Thomas. Now, <laughs> now they end up. They end up making like an album for Atlantic Records. They're on a three contract. Yeah, they deal. had they had a three album deal. They made that one album, which went swimmingly. What did, I don't even know. Did, what did it sell? Six hundred and thirty copies. Six hundred and thirty copies. I want to make that six thirty one because I'm gonna check it out after this. But yeah, so that that three album deal, I think that just like burned that contract burned in their hands. Yeah, like, they they also changed their name from the Brood to the Boondock Saints because the movie was being made, which was also a very infuriating. That's probably factor. a good sign for a band though to like name themselves, rename themselves after a movie coming out yeah right? exactly like, isn't it weird it's a good sign for their like the health of the band what was the theme song because they did the theme song I'm thinking back in the movie I don't even remember not the Irish Jig song because that's, that's the first thing I remember not from, the yeah. best song in the movie <laughs> no no which one is that it, was it one of the shitty techno industrial tracks or, or was it like because the, they had like a Rage Against the Machine song I think or something similar to that where it was like fuck you I won't do what you tell me I, I don't think off. it was I don't yeah. think it was a fuck you I won't do what you tell no, me it was I, a rip off of that it was, it was a lot of like it was very 2000s metal yeah I, I was gonna say and then there was a bunch of like post-grunge songs in there that like or like post-grunge meets new metal and yeah. somewhere in there i'm like which one is theirs so we may have to find a song of that and play that at the end or something <laughs> i would i would love to find it finally while all of his house of cards is being falling apart uh since he now has the rights to go search for another studio he ends up going to franchise pictures signs a absolute dog shit he deal. gets half of what he got with he Miramax. gets half of what he got he gets basically no control he's on a tight leash and this is something he doesn't find out until later he doesn't retain any rights to the video we sales. will get to that <laughs> boy he's a man who does not look through his contract <laughs> he will get to that he basically was like oh no this film's gonna be a huge success yeah i'm totally yo bro so this movie is totally gonna make he took it. the money on the front side to like get rid of the fucking back end deal and that's the only spot where it fucking made money yeah like troy an, duffy really knows his stuff like an idiot spoiler alert it 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 will make a lot of money and troy duffy will see almost none of it until like t- 2006 speaking of which <laughs> We finally get to the movie. All right, this episode of Bombed was produced, edited, and recorded by yours truly, Liam Wolf. You can follow me over at Liam underscore Wolf underscore Man on Instagram and Twitter to follow most of my idiotic hot takes and dumb opinions. Also, that awesome intro that you hear every week was done by my good friend Jacob O'Brien, who you can follow at Vaulted Tadpole on Twitch and Twitter and Instagram and other socials out there. Joe McAndrew provided that awesome podcast art that you see each and every week. So give a shout out. Follow him over at Joe MC Art on Instagram. Also, you can follow us over at BombedCast on Instagram as well. Keeping tabs on both our show and our sister podcast, Consultrarians. 
be the first to be notified on new episodes over on Instagram, or you could follow the podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcast, or wherever podcasts are held hostage. Oh, and most importantly of all, I'd like to thank Matt LaRue for coming on the podcast this week and discussing the pain and torment that is enjoying the Boondock Saints. You've caught part one where we've complained about Troy Duffy. Next episode will actually be a discussion on the Boondock Saints. We go into deep detail on inauthentic Italian accents, offensive jokes, the Columbine massacre, and what happened after release. So stay tuned next episode. It's going to be a blast. Catch you later. Sayonara.